0: Well, that worked out exactly how I planned, said no one ever. I Feel Awful Chronicles of Leadership, a micro podcast featuring Christine Sachs, Juanita molano Para, Katharina Schneegis, and Robert Kwong. Chronicle 98 Happy Holidays. <laughs>
1: Or is it?
2: <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> yeah, it's that time of the
0: year. My daughter loves Christmas time. She loves Christmas time. She is uh, as the kids say, she is a stan for Christmas. She's like, the vibe is just so nice. And it's like snow and and lights and trees. I'm like girl you live in the city I don't know what what you're talking about but okay
2: (laughs) I feel the same way I love Christmas we don't celebrate Thanksgiving in Germany so for me once Halloween is over um, I'm allowed to sneak in Christmas decorations in our household but I have to be very delicate in the beginning so it's not not too much not really noticeable but I'm always like sneaking it in a little bit more just tiny little piece at the time I feel the same way for me Christmas is well I'm an introvert so I I I admire spending time at home (laughs) I love the small gatherings where you're not meeting with hundreds of people but just like close friends where you stay home or you get out in Germany the Hamburg the city is like filled with Christmas lights and Christmas markets I just, I just love that time of the year. So I understand what Viv says. Also, we don't have snow in Hamburg. Usually Christmas, it, it usually starts in March when you don't really want snow anymore, <laughs> if you're lucky. But still the whole experience of getting together with the family and friends and uh, eating yummy food, watching those, those movies that you only watch once a year. I love it.
0: Well, it's funny because, you know, Vivian is is uh, half Jewish, so we do Hanukkah and Christmas. And so, you know, it's all about the lights, right? Like she's got the Hanukkah, the menorah lights, and then she's got the lights on the tree. She's got double the presents. Yeah. And we, it's funny, we, um, because we celebrate both in the house, we make a really specific, we have a specific practice around Hanukkah is always themed. That way it's not the like consumerist like you're just getting eight more presents on top of all your christmas presents but it's like there's a theme to hanukkah so it feels like a separate experience Mm -hmm. whereas christmas is always the the presents under the tree and all of that yeah but um yeah loves it all loves all of and we always have um uh you know we have blue and white colored stockings so that the hanukkah theme colors on christmas stockings so we really try to find Uh great the two holidays i mean neither tony nor i are particularly religious or practicing in either sense but we there's um there's kind of a it's just i think it's an interesting look at the way we ritualize and we become comfort in the ritual and routine of a thing especially around holidays where you know they can be a little loaded Mm -hmm. how do you feel about this
1: season oh sorry interrupting
2: No, you go ahead Robert. I was about to ask you what your what your take on it is.
1: Well, I was going to ask. It sounds like you both grew up celebrating Christmas and the holidays, right? So I always think about the holidays as being very funny because it feels like uh growing up it was like lost in translation a bit because my stepdad's Jewish, but I don't I didn't grow up having the context of what that meant in America. So during the holidays, I would be like, wow, everyone's going everyone is so dramatic and extra during the holidays. They're putting up the lights and the trees. What is this? Because Did it you like that was huh? Did you grew up in New York? No, I grew up in Colorado before moving oh, to wow. New York. But it was like, you know, we wouldn't be doing any of those things. And I would be like, oh, those weirdos. Only until it was like college time when we were driving around. I was like, oh no, like everyone does this, but we don't choose to do it. And so I had a huge like context shift, let's just say around that. But I think that also made me a little bit awkward during the holidays because there's so much meaning packed into it that, you know, I didn't really have in China. Although now people in China celebrate Christmas, it's more commercialized. You know,
0: (laughs) what do you and your partner do for the holidays?
1: We like to do nowadays, try to have a little bit of like Chinese style. So like it's mostly the food, obviously, like the best part of the holidays is the food. So we actually try to bring in like Chinese recipes or classic Chinese dishes for the holidays and end of the year, new year type things. But, you know, just moving it up a couple of months, basically. Which, well, Uh, that's
0: very very New York traditional Jewish Christmas fair. That's
1: (laughs) right. Okay. Another thing that I totally missed out on, everyone was like, oh, yeah, everyone gets Chinese food. It's like guaranteed. That is the one place that is open on any occasion, any day. Um, But I didn't really see that until I moved to New York either. But now I, of course, it's kind of fun. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, Tony loves to do because we we often because um, Tony's family, his parents have passed. We celebrate the actual Christmas with um, my family, who is Catholic. So we try to keep uh, Christmas Eve as more of a secular thing, but we definitely get the Chinese food on Christmas Eve.
2: <laughs> Never heard that. I think I, I well I, I um we're we're not like spending a lot of time in church over Christmas or anything I but we do have a very very um clear tradition about what the food will look like especially like in um in Germany you celebrate um December 24th so the night that's also where we get all our presents we don't have to wait until the morning (laughs) maybe that's the time difference I don't know (laughs) Santa comes to us first uh no but uh we yeah we have a very specific plan about what the cake will be and what the food will be on the on the night of christmas and we start baking cookies way in advance so for example this weekend uh my little nieces and nephews will come around to do the first christmas baking to like start celebrating uh the process of like baking all the different cookies and then on christmas eve you have at least one cookie left from every kind that you that you baked over the weeks before. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It has to have, it has to it has to be exactly the same thing as the last years before. Um, so interesting how much safety and um, coziness will be created at least for my family to like really stick to routines from the years before even though last year was very different. Like my two grandpas passed away last year. My one grandma had a heart attack and was in the hospital. So it was a very small gathering. And still, especially I think in times like this, when people are missing at the table, that like, you know, sticking to the old routines really gives a lot of, um, yeah, safety, warmth, love.
0: And then we have family.
2: And then we... (laughs)
0: Uh, Catherine, you had mentioned that you had once, uh, or you lead a, a conversation in companies around how to be with family during the holidays. I was wondering if you would share a little bit. I, I think you've mentioned it to me before, but I don't remember the details of it.
2: Yeah, well, not well. The the workshop, the training that I, that I facilitated wasn't about family, but it became about family. It was a, it was actually leadership training about um, empathy, how to build and how to uh, practice your empathy muscle. And I facilitated one last year in November uh, with an American company. So it was right before Thanksgiving. People started thinking about traveling home, like meeting up with their family again. And we had a conversation about where we stopped with empathy, where we stopped being empathetic, where we stopped being compassionate with people. And a lot of the conversation suddenly evolved around family <laughs> you know, because they know how to how to press the buttons uh, that we have. And we often, since we have so much old patterns around how we usually are, like all the different roles, right? Like I have a very specific way to be with my dad. He says something and I immediately go back to the role of like being his little daughter. And we, we, you know, we still have the same arguments even 20 years later. Um, And I think, um, yeah, it was an interesting conversation to have that in a leadership context as well, who we are for our family, who we choose to be, um, and where we stop, where we choose out. We're like, nope, (laughs) not fighting it.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm just curious, do you, what did you, is there research or like anything around the, the kind of edges or the places where people stop typically? Um, around empathy you mean? Well with the family right like with the family because in my mind family is the blueprint for all of our relationships whether we like it or not we learned how to deal with conflict we learned what authority is we learned about partnership and collaboration via siblings nieces nephews cousins whatever and so I mean the holidays are so often quite focused on family dynamics anyway and so just I'm just curious because if that's the place where a lot of our coping mechanisms start right we can we can easily see any like we can we can see a lot of kind of how we are in a corporate environment or in a business environment who we are as leaders as kind of like shadows or echoes of some sometimes of our how we are about family
2: yeah I'm sure there is I don't have um, studies on top of my mind right now but I um, I'd second what you say with like how how we were with our family is a blueprint of how we show up in different areas as well. And oftentimes people or coworkers or supervisor or, you know, those who really get to us usually have similarity with, you know, a parent figures or siblings or something. Um, so I bet there is a bunch of research around it. I don't have anything uh, to bring here right now. The conversation that we had um, last year was, was not designed to end up like a family conversation about how we are with them uh, over the holiday season. But what I what I took away from it, what I thought was interesting, was to practice there as well because we often talk about leadership, and where places where we often start practicing is with our teams, with our team members, with the the organization that we work in. But we, you know, with our family, we usually stop. Like, we just fall into old patterns. We accept that this is how it will go. We get triggered by the same thing. And we often don't practice what we do there as well. So, for example, you know, acknowledging or noticing when we stop with empathy and, like, how we can, you know, attempt to uh, understand their perspective a little better or something.
1: I love, you know, that saying, like, some people love the idea of like a workplace it's like oh it's like a big happy family you know that's how you know things are working and especially nowadays I think there's been more literature out where I'm just like you know if I ever hear that I was like oh god please don't (laughs) please don't be like my family (laughs) you know it's just really funny to see the same dynamics show up in every place and Obviously, when people talk about like setting boundaries and stuff, I think with family and our close relationships, it's it's the hot it's the hardest. At least for me, I notice all the reasons I have for like, uh, I don't want to, but I will," or like, uh, you know, they didn't mean that. like every every reason I have for um, maybe breaking like a boundary or maybe experiencing some disappointment, like all of the reasons I have for it it kind of starts to show up and notice with, like, the families of, like, how I navigate choices with them and requests and things like that. And I'll have the same sort of, like, behavior sometimes in teams or with work, you know, the stories that we make up for a situation.
2: And to your point, Robert, I think there's a reason why... (laughs) you shouldn't coach your family or friends or specifically family because they're so close and we collected so many data points over the years through a very specific perspective, the role that we take in, in our family, there, there's a little, there's little space for curiosity and being able to elevate and step outside of it. Um, Just because we're so close and we're so in it, it's, that's at least how I experienced coming back for me, like to uh, maybe step, um, step take one step back. But when I did my own coach tra- training program, I was in New York City. I was based in New York City. It was during the pandemic. There was a travel ban. I wasn't able to come home. So I came home almost like a year later after doing a transformational program like this. And I met my parents because we had to stay at their place. There was no hotel hotels open or anything. And coming back to the very root of <laughs> how I how I've been uh, my whole life, but after such a huge transition of choosing who I want to be moving forward, that was so interesting to like be confronted with the very beginning of my behavior and then seeing how much have changed in the last years, um, but also seeing how this created such a like an internal conflict of that you know, something can't be true. Can't, both can't be true at the same time. almost.
0: Yeah. I, um, well, the, what you said, Catherine around, um, don't coach your family. I think it's really fundamentally, you know, coaching starts with a presupposition that there's nothing wrong. And if any, I mean, I was just thinking about all the places that anybody who's listening to this is going to go, oh, no, there's definitely something wrong, (laughs) right? Because, you know, I mean, I don't know about you both, but I know that when people often want to talk about their families, they want to fix someone. They want to get them somewhere. They want to, right, as opposed to just, What if there was nothing wrong and there was simply possibility like that? That's not a thing. Like, nope, they are this way (laughs) for those listening, everybody's uh, Katrina and Robert are nodding emphatically. (laughs) Um, So I think that that's, and it goes back to your empathy part, which is like the edge of your empathy where it stops being like, oh, I really get it. And there's opportunity here. And to like, nope, I'm done with you because you need to fix that thing that I don't like or that thing that's clearly a problem for the family or whatever. Um and that's the thing I think, as markers for leaders and companies, it's like the the things that bother you about your colleagues are likely rooted in something that stems from family dynamics, and I'm not saying that you're working i I'm not saying that everybody is working on family stuff on their colleagues, but um it it can be an interesting way to discern what is something to work through internally for yourself and what is actually a thing to address with a colleague or a direct you know and this may be one way to look like oh if this thing comes from my relationship to my brother sister mother father the trigger is mine that thing is mine and I still need to address the poor performance or the communication gap over there so I can own the trigger as not theirs but mine and we can still have a conversation around the stuff that needs to address, but, but most people get that mixed up, you know, and it becomes, you are a bad thing and and I can't believe you would do this to me, which is where the weird family dynamics enter into the workplace.
1: I'm often, I'm often thinking about sort of when we're trying to understand what the client's looking for or what, what their request might be. And sometimes request sounds like, you know to the tune of how can i get this other person to change versus i think some of the breakthroughs that we talk about is very how do we relate to our external experiences or how do we respond to it but it's so funny how often when we try to look at an issue it winds up being like because someone wants someone else to change and i think with family that can come up a lot of like what's the what's the issue is it for this person to change or is it something on my end and um That definitely shows up in work and coaching because my response might be, I I don't know. I hope they have a good coach.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Robert. That really, that's called pushing the problem to another person. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I think we started with the idea of happy holidays and then moved into a very dark place. Um, so if we were going to create some calls to action to actually create happy holidays or a happy holiday season, what would we what would we share with folks? I think number one, I would say, don't coach your family. Don't coach, just be with, enjoy the ritual as much as you can. Don't coach your family.
2: <laughs> Agreed. Uh, number two for me would be um, owning your edges. Owning where you want to stop, either setting a boundary, remove yourself from a conversation or setting yourself up in a way that you can fully enjoy the holiday and in, in, and owning what you need in times like this with your family before or after.
1: <laughs> um, for me, as somewhat of a curmudgeon with the holidays, I would say if you have fond memories, you know, allow yourself to, you know, find space to get nostalgic. Do something for your inner child, something that is not always appropriate and is a little bit silly, but it's something you used to always love doing. So, you know, for something that always comes up every year, it's kind of a good time to revisit some memories just for fun, you know, for no agenda. So if you can find space, uh, that would be my invitation.
0: See you next week. You can follow us on the web at www.ChristineSaxCoaching.com.